This week on the Vacation Rental Micro School podcast is all about the heart of hosting, your why, and is property management for everybody? If the answer is yes to that question and you discover that you love hospitality, you love taking care of people, then guess what? Breezeway is the number one solution you need to power that heart. This is the lifeline and blood of your business. If you don't know what Breezeway is and you don't know much about operations, then Breezeway is the number one solution to take care of you and your team in the back-end operation work of turnovers and cleaning and maintenance tasks. No longer do you need to manage any of these tasks by Excel or any other old dinosaur way of doing business. This is the solution that is mobile-friendly and can be done in a couple clicks of a button. So, you have the heart for hosting? Well, Breezeway has the lifeline to make it all possible. Now, let's jump into the Vacation Rental Micro School. All right, we're back. Day three. I have my days in order now. I promise I'm not <laughs> confused on what day it is. How are we're you only this three days in. How bad is this going to be by day 20? <laughs> uh, it's going to be a long, cold winter. But I'm excited because I think we hinted yesterday that Heather Bear even mentioned that she, for the longest time in her career, in the beginning years of managing vacation homes, didn't know like what OTAs meant or certain verbiage like it's thrown around all the time. And I'm sure I'm guilty of it. You're probably guilty of it. I didn't know. Yeah. So what the hell do these terms mean? And what type of business models are out there for someone who's getting into hosting or becoming a vacation rental manager? I'll let you kick off. I I know we have a small little list. And for any of the listeners, I'm going to try to get like a little glossary made for you. So it'll be in the show notes. Just make sure you go to that link once it's there. But I'll hand off to is. This is one I get in trouble for a lot amongst hosts because on my Instagram and, you know, my podcast and stuff, I always will refer to myself as an Airbnb host and other vacation rental managers get mad at me and say, stop promoting Airbnb. You are a short term rental host. You're a vacation rental manager. But what you just touched on, people outside of our industry have no idea what these acronyms mean. People in our industry don't even know what these acronyms mean. So I, you know, Airbnb has done all this marketing and established a brand name. I am happy to ride the coattails of that, even though I know it gets me in trouble with people. But let's let's jump into this glossary. There is no shame in not knowing what these terms are because this causes so much confusion. So quick three to run through STR, MTR, LTR, short term rental, midterm rental, long term rental. So an STR is typically anything Truly, in my opinion, it's like a seven day or less rental, but I think definitionally it could go up to 30 days. Once you're at the 30 day mark, you're kicking into midterm rentals and a midterm rental could even be longer than 30 days. Of course, it could be six months. Even the big differentiator there is that a midterm rental would be furnished and then a long term rental. If you find that you hate hosting and you don't want the quick turnover of guests and you decide to change to a long term rental at that point, it's not expected that it would be furnished. You could still do a furnished long-term rental if you wanted, but those are the big differences there. ADR is average daily rate. So this is what, when you're running your comps and stuff and trying to see if a property makes sense for you, ADR is what you want to know. I host in a ski resort town where Christmas, the whole week of Christmas to New Year's, we can get 700 bucks a night. But in off season, when the lake level is low and the lifts aren't open in midweek, I can get 95 bucks a night. 
So what you want to look at in these cases to make comping easier for you is your average daily rate. Average that out and then see what you can get throughout the whole year. What does comping mean? Can you explain comping? Oh, like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, comping would just basically be running, running comparative. Comping is short for comparison, right? So when you're looking at multiple properties and trying to decide which property you want to take on, you're just comping and you're you're comparing how they're all going to do. In the upcoming episode with Heather, I know, Will, that you and her are going to touch a bit on how to decide if a certain market is going to be profitable or not. So I'll save her to touch on this more. Generally, comping would just be deciding amongst which market you want to go to and which property and just looking at your average daily rate. And that leads me into occupancy. You want to know how much of the year you're going to be booked. So in really seasonal markets, if you only have winters in a ski resort town, you might only be booked 100% of the time, three to four months of the year. So don't take your average daily rate and multiply it by 365. You got to adjust those occupancies. Some markets that are steadier throughout the year, you could be booked 80, 85, 90%, but you got to weigh, you got to weigh that and make sure that you're always checking your occupancy. One thing on the note of occupancy, another definition to get into, I see a lot of people will hear occupancy and confuse it with how many guests they can host. That's your guest count. So these are different. Occupancy would refer to how much, what percentage of the year you can be booked. And then guest count is how many guests you can host, aka your heads in beds. Let's see, what are our next definitions here? We're running through these. Dynamic pricing. You'll hear more about that with Andrew from Wheelhouse. And dynamic pricing, I hope he doesn't like massacre me for how I define this because he knows so much more on this topic than I do. But how I would define dynamic pricing is not setting the same rates for every single night of the week, not even for every month of the year. Your weeknights are typically going to be lower. Your weekends will be higher. They should be even higher on like a three-day weekend or a holiday weekend. If you're in a beach town where spring break is a really big week for you, you want dynamic pricing. You want to be higher. A big mistake I see with brand new hosts is if they just go with Airbnb and they don't take the time to set dynamic pricing, as soon as they launch, Within a couple days, they will have all of their upcoming weekends, holiday weekends, and spring break booked, and none of their weekdays are touched. That's a big sign that you did not use dynamic pricing effectively. What you really want is for your weeknight pricing to, to be lower, and those get booked up too, and then your weekends should be much higher to reflect the higher demand there. Yeah, and I'll give like a little history lesson from the 70s, motels were notorious for this. And this is how the whole lodging industry worked, but it was, you had your weekday rates, let's say Sunday through Thursday, yep. and your weekend rates Friday through Saturday. So Friday night, Saturday night, and they never changed. You knew it was Friday and Saturday, it was $97. Never had a call and question, you know, all this other stuff. And then you knew Sunday through Thursday, it was 65 and you could easily get a room if they had open availability. The reason why dynamic pricing came into play is because airline industry actually was realizing they could fluctuate their pricing based off of what they had available and what they didn't, and they could fill up faster, even though some rates might be cheaper than the seats that were sold before. So airlines really took it off. And then from there, hotels picked it up. The vacation rentals, vacation rentals were very much like you're saying, if you're that host that just had that vacation home wanted to use it for three weeks out of the year and then put it on VRBO, 
then they would just set a day in and a weekend rate. But that, that all changed because people saw they could kind of control their, their occupancy better and have less unbooked nights. So Yeah. Interesting. I didn't know that started from the airline industry. <laughs> yeah, no, they were they were notorious for it. But anyways, another sure. another lesson for a future day. So so that's on dynamic pricing. And again, you'll hear more about that in the coming episodes with Andrew Kitchell from Wheelhouse. So PMS would be your platform management software. Some of the big names out there, Guesty, Hospitable, Hostfully. There's a ton. Will, you can chime in with ones I'm missing. And it's really up to you to kind of decide which one works for you. Some of these PMSs are known to be better for owners that have multiple properties, 10 plus properties, 50 plus properties, and they can streamline more like that. Some of them are known to help out hosts on a more individual level better. So it's up to you to find a good fit that works for you. But a really big reason to have a PMS would especially be for any host, even if you're just starting and all you are right now is on Airbnb and Verbo and you haven't built out any direct booking, you need a way to sync up those calendars so that you're not getting double booked. That's what a PMS is really great for. And then depending on the one you choose, you can also automate some guest messages through there, track cleaning checklists and scheduling and all sorts of maintenance that you need to track like that. Channel management. This is similar. Will, actually, I don't know the difference between a channel management software and a PMS. Are they the same thing? I would say property management software is what you're saying. It's very much a calendar program with inbox and kind of communication and connection to your other technologies that we cover in week four. But channel management also then outside of calendar syncing, it gets you in front of the, as Heather says, the persona that you want to be in front of. So Airbnb, Verbo, Booking.com, oh, Glamping okay. Hub. Like it gets you on the, it's like a distribution play. Furnish so, Finder. Okay. See, I still get yeah, confused yeah. by these two. <laughs> so yeah, your channel manager. Yeah. Thank you for, for filling me in there. A channel manager would help you just get in front of all the different channels that are out there. And so if you are thinking it is way too much work for me to be on Booking.com and Hopper and Furnish Finder and all of these, that's what a channel manager can help you. You can go in and make one tweak there and they will spit it out to all the different platforms. Another thing I wanted to touch on too is that a good PMS can also really help you with managing your tech stack. So when you add in your pricing software, if you end up using one, if you add in um, Breezeway to help you with your cleaning checklists, it's so many different things you'll find that you have to check in on. If you've got your smart thermostat and your your camera and your smart lock synced up too, it just makes it a lot easier that everything is in one place and can be controlled. So that's another really good thing a PMS can help you with. And then OTA, the whole reason we even started talking about this, and I don't think I've defined it yet, an OTA is an online travel agency. So again, that's Airbnb, Verbo, Booking.com, Hopper, Furnished Finder, Glamping Hub, like you said. There's so yeah. many out there. That is what an OTA is, online travel agency. Yeah. And there are so many of these that probably weren't covered, but for the theme of season one, we're just covering the 101 of vacation rental. So this is like core basics need to know. And now, Natalie, there's so many different models, not as many as there is different terms and definitions that we just covered, but there's, I would say, three core management models that you can go into. Yeah. So the three ways that you can become a host are either through co-hosting, arbitrage, or ownership. Let's define each of these. So co-hosting 
would be actually this is a good one. Let's spend a couple minutes talking about the difference between co-hosting and being a property manager. So a property manager, the essentially they can do the same thing. There are co-hosts who are full on property managers as well. The way I see it is that a property manager takes on the entire operations of hosting your business and the owner wouldn't have to lift a finger. So that's really what a comprehensive full-scale property management business will do. There are co-hosts who can serve all of those roles. The cool thing about co-hosting is that I think it's more loosely defined. So I think we touched on this on day one. There are co-hosts who literally just will respond to guest messages for you. They will never show up to the property. They will never design it or anything. All they'll do is answer those guest messages at the hours when you don't want to. For something like that, you could pay out a co-host 5% commission. There could be co-hosts who show up to the property after the cleaner is done and check that everything looks good. They're the boots on the ground. They're designing. They're staging it. That would be a much more hands-on involved co-host. But it's really up to you to define this. And I know we talked about this the last two days. What I recommend is that hosts just start hosting and kind of start doing everything. And you'll find very quickly the pieces that you don't like to do and that you want to outsource. And I guarantee there's somebody interested in co-hosting that aspect for you. So even if you don't want to hire a full-blown property manager, you can piece together the little pieces that you don't want to do. That's what a co-host would help with. Arbitrage is next. And arbitrage is when you are you put a long-term lease on a property and then you're turning around and subletting that as a short-term rental. This one has some risk involved. With co-hosting, you get in for zero cost. There are no startup costs to become a co-host. The owner is fronting all of that. You just get paid out the commission for those services you're providing. Arbitrage, the pros are that you are in full control. You don't have to work with an owner like you would as a co-host. But you are paying rent every single month. There's a bit of a commitment. You're signing in a 12-month or a 24-month lease. And even if you have a slower month in the business where you're not making money, you still have rent due. You still have to pay it no matter what. The same could be said for ownership. You still have to pay a mortgage every month, but at least you're gaining equity in that property. With arbitrage, after the lease is done, you step out and that's it. So there's some more risks involved here. I know it's it's not the preferred method of a lot of hosts because it just, especially with COVID, we saw how it could quickly decimate someone's business. And if you were stuck in a lease, you were screwed. So this one does have more risk involved, but it gives you that higher level of control that you wouldn't have with co-hosting when you have to run everything by an owner. And then finally would be ownership. And to me, this is the goal of, I think, what we should all be working towards. Co-hosting and arbitrage can be good models if you are starting with little to no money and you just want to get your foot in the door. But I think that we should all have the goal of ownership and being real estate investors and owning owning property. And of course, that gives you way more control. You don't have any owner or landlord to report to. You can run your business however you want to. You can design it however you want to. You can put nail holes all in the wall and paint it whatever color and make it stand out. And even on slower months where Maybe you're not making revenue and you still have those payments. At least you know you're putting it into a future appreciating asset, unlike arbitrage. Arbitrage can also be named as master leasing. It might be something that a lot of people say big companies like Sonder, the Guild, others have a master lease model. So you, if you hear those names, you can understand they're giving the owner of the building a confirmed rent account versus 
they're co-hosting, like Natalie said, or going into ownership. And I do want to say, as much as I don't like arbitrage personally, both arbitrage and co-hosting are a potential roadmap to ownership. So I think, you know, with my management company, we got to 10 homes and now me and my business partner are looking like, okay, should we start buying properties now for us? Because it makes more sense. We know what we've learned through our owners, what we like, what we don't like. And it'd be just nicer to have that full control. So yeah, you can always get into that, that point as well. And I'm sure you've seen it with your own business. Yeah, I, I basically got my start through co-hosting and it was four years before I purchased my own property. And now that I have one that I own, I do not want to co-host for anyone else. Ownership is so much nicer when you don't have an owner breathing down your neck, calling the shots, trying to micromanage things, and you can run your business how you want to. And it's funny because that one property that we own now is by far the best performing one out of all the ones I'm co-hosting. And I think it makes sense, even though those ones have been around longer and have more reviews. I just, there are things that you'll learn as an owner. You take more pride in your property and you're also, you know, we talked about this the last few days. I've assessed that I'm willing to take more risk on that property. I know you said Heather will touch on this more, but I have no problem allowing pets and things like that, that I know will make more money. Some of the owners that I co-host for do not want that risk no matter what. I recommend having instant book on, remove as many barriers as you can to booking. Some owners I work with do not want that on no matter what. So it is nice once you can actually start owning a property and running it the way that you want to. And that's why I think it should be the end goal. But yeah, I will never knock co-hosting and arbitrage just for the fact that it can it can be your foot in the door for people who have that hosting itch we talked about but have no money to start right now. It's okay. You don't have to wait five years to start hosting. You can start You can start practicing now. And what's great too is that through co-hosting and arbitrage, once you're ready for ownership, you will learn a lot about, you know, maybe I don't want a three-story apartment. It was really tough to furnish that, that arbitrage unit that I did. Maybe I don't want something in the middle of the city and I'd rather go to, you know, the outskirts somewhere where there's less regulation. So I do think it's worth getting started now, even if it's not the ideal way that you want to through ownership. Yeah. And I'm glad you said regulation. This episode will probably be a little bit longer than the most, but that is also something we're going to cover in the future of this whole business is understanding your market outside of just ADR and occupancy and all these fun things we talk about. It's understanding the legal aspect because it does get down to, even if you own your city, your state, your county may not like it and won't allow it. Speaking of that, there is one more acronym I just thought of that I have to throw in there. T-O-T, taxes, tourist occupancy taxes. I didn't touch on that. This is one too that it's referred to by different names depending on your municipality. I believe in Europe, it's a VAT tax, value add tax. In a lot of American US cities, you'll see it's a T-O-T, tourist tax or transient occupancy tax. It can go by different names, but that's just another acronym also to be aware of those taxes. A great way to wrap up day three. Let's get ready for day four going into how do I get started? What do I need to consider before pulling the trigger? We'll see you tomorrow. Okay, I know we went a little bit over on this episode, but all of this important information was super key to cover. So thank you for tuning in to this longer episode. And we will see you all again tomorrow. Make sure that you have your pen and paper and your share button ready to go because this week is wrapping up quickly.